Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Hey, hey. How we doing today? We doing good? Good to see you guys. Uh, hey, we're starting this new series. Uh, everybody should have gotten one of these bookmarks. Uh, I call them Mark Marks uh, because they're a bookmark for the book of Mark that you can use to mark what you're studying as we go through the book of Mark. And uh, it's got a reading plan on the back of that. So we made it available a resource uh, that you can get for free. Uh, it's on our, our Facebook face. Uh, page that you can download either PDF or you can order it off of Amazon is the study guide that you can use as we go through the book of Mark. The weekend services won't necessarily always, or the messages rather on the weekend won't always coincide with those reading plans, but I definitely encourage you guys to check that out, read through the book of Mark. I'm excited to be in it. I wanted to say real quick, how many of y'all just, and some of y'all, you won't even know what I'm talking about when I'm saying this, even though you may sense it. How many of y'all are thankful for the Holy Spirit in this room? Amen. All right, so this is, this is the way this works. This doesn't happen on accident. Uh, it, it, the, the Holy Spirit, he can show up really anywhere he wants to, but he primarily shows up in places that he's welcomed and recognized. And, and, and it also, though, takes a preparation. And so I think one of the main reasons, and, and he's been moving, and I believe he's going to move, and I believe, I don't know, what, whatever he wants to do, we're, we're up for it. You know? But here's what I would say. I'm very thankful for our prayer team. I'm thankful for our intercessors. We have people that show up before anybody else on Sunday morning, and they're walking around this building. Every one of these chairs is prayed for before anybody shows up. Why the chairs? Because chairs represent souls, and we believe that God wants to reach every single soul. And so I just want to honor them. There's a few of these ladies, and I I, I could go through and, and name them all, but I'm just thankful. If you're thankful for people that are called and gifted to intercede and pray, let's give the Lord a hand for those people. Amen. I really believe, I really believe that prep, preparing, preparing in atmospheres and, and recognizing a dependency on the Holy Spirit is one of the main reasons why he shows up. And so I know those people specifically help do that. Uh, I love the Gospel of Mark, quite honestly. It's fast-paced. It's like an action-adventure movies. Luke, it's got lots of details. It kind of plays out more like Legends of the Fall or Lonesome Dove or Gone with the Wind. Kind of slow, really long. I like Mark because it's like the, the series Fast and Furious. Like, you know what you're going to get before you ever start one of those movies, and they get to it quick. Nobody is, like, there's no mystery. Like, I wonder what this Fast and Furious is going to be about. Like, nobody's ever been confused about that. And I love that, and I like just his personality. It's, he says the word immediately 40 times throughout this gospel. Immediately, immediately. So he's just like a bottom line dude. So I just picture like when he's talking to these people and he'd be like, and then he did this, boom. And then this happened, boom. And then and this happened, boom. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, we get him like, be quiet, stop interrupting. I got some more stuff to say. And then immediately this happened, boom. I like that. I like how he thinks. I like how he works. Some people, they will just bury you under mountains of words. Like, where is this person going with this conversation right now? But Mark is not like that. I also like him because I can relate to him. He's, he's like, like a modern-day church kid. Mark's mom 
Uh, we actually hear about her in, in Acts chapter 12. Her name is Mary. Uh, we know that she's a widow, and, and she is apparently fairly wealthy. Uh, but we know that she had some serious faith. She's a faithful woman, bold and courageous. The early church actually would meet in secret in her home. So Mark grew up with this bold faith around him. He grew up with some of the disciples and the apostles. This was around him, but Mark initially, he blew it. And one of the ways he majorly blew it is he backed out of a missionary journey with Paul. How many of y'all, that, that's a mistake. Like if Paul the apostle asked you to go somewhere, you should go. You should probably go on that trip, right? Like in context, we'd be like, no, I heard about your trips, man. I don't want to shipwrecked and all kinds of craziness, right? But he didn't know that. He backed out of that. But, but really at his weakest point, Mark was a coward. There's a really good chance that the, the, the scripture says that, that the disciples, when they are in the Garden of Gethsemane, some of them were so fearful that they ran so hard, they ran right out of their clothes. Mark was the guy that ran right out of his clothes because of how afraid he was, okay? But what's encouraging about all that is is even though he grew up with the things of God, he messed up. And then he aced his second chance to be used by God. How many of y'all can relate to that? You messed up, you messed up. I think we can all relate to that. Look around this room, look around this room. I just wanna let you know all the perfect people have already left our church. Uh, we, may, we run a couple of them out every weekend, and, and, and I think it's great. I think there's a place for them somewhere. Uh, but, but if you look around this room, this is all we are. We are sinners saved by grace that are just trying to ace our second chance. That's who we are. Or some of us are third chance or fourth chance or fifth chance or whatever number you want to put on it, but we understand that we need Jesus. We need his grace. We need his forgiveness. And Mark understood that. He made a great rebound. Mark was around Peter and Paul throughout the course of their lives and even at their deaths. And this book has a lot of Peter's wisdom in it. But he opens up with a chapter with us getting a snapshot in the ministry and the day in the life of Jesus. So our text today is in Mark chapter one, starting with verse 40. I'm gonna be reading from the New King James translation. It says this, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you're willing will you make me clean? Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he str strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priests and offer your cleanse." You're cleansing those things which Moses commanded. There were specific sacrifices that were given for the atonement of sickness as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every direction. Father, speak through your word. I pray that our hearts would be open. Help us to see what you see. Help us to hear what you would want us to hear in Jesus' name. Leprosy was Satan's masterpiece. Uh, it's like Satan got away and like climbed into some cave somewhere 
and cooked up the most horrible, horrid disease that has ever been known and then unleashed it on mankind. A lot of theologians believe that Job was actually the first person that had leprosy. And we know that the affliction that Job specifically dealt with came straight from Satan. God allowed him to give him these afflictions. And so it was a horrible disease. It's not common in our day, although there are some places specifically around the India, Nepal area where there are still cases of leprosy, but none for us here in the Western hemisphere. Although I would guess by looking at them, armadillos probably carry leprosy. You just look at those things, you're just like, they got something, like something, don't, I don't, I don't ever wanna touch one of those nasty little things. But in Jesus' day, leprosy was prevalent, widespread, there was no prevention and there was no cure, like there is now, okay? So I wanna talk about what leprosy did. First of all, leprosy killed the soul first. Killed the soul. This leper, he couldn't t- be touched by anybody or they themselves would be considered unclean. Leprosy was considered this outward sign of an inward failure. Imagine everyone looking at you and thinking, well, he must've done something wrong. He failed, he sinned, something shameful, something secret, and it would be showing out outwardly. This is what they believe through this disease. And a leper was contagious. So he had to isolate with social distance until death. And Leviticus in the law gave the parameters for a leper in chapter 13, verse 45. The leper must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkept, cover the lower part of his face and cry out unclean, unclean. So leprosy is where the whole mask thing got started. Like for thousands of years, Like people were wearing this to cover up the fact that they had leprosy. But think about that. Even the law dictated that there's no part of your life that can't represent this failure. The clothes you wear, everything about your physical appearance needs to scream, you screwed up. Shame on you. And that's how they were viewed. One of the very first mission trips that I went on, I went to Nepal. And uh, this is over 20 years ago now, but they actually had a leper colony, if you will. There was this compound where they took all the people that had been designated with leprosy. And it was sad because in a modern age, it's like, how in the world could you still need these places? But it had a lot of the same stigma, different religion, but the same religious mindset. And that was these people, if they had leprosy, then you stayed away from them. And because they felt this shame, a lot of times it would go untreated, although it's completely treatable. Although they have ways to prevent any kind of spread of it. It's no longer contagious. But because these people were kind of isolated away from society, a lot of them had the physical repercussions of having this disease. And so when you walk into this room, it's a tough scene. Because what happens and I'll get into it a little bit later in the message, what happens is you, from your extremities in, begin to die. You lose feeling, it kills your nerves, your ability to feel pain, and then things just begin to erode. And so a lot of these people, missing fingers, missing limbs, uh, missing their noses, missing their ears, these types of things. And one of the things that I'll never forget as we walk through that place is what began to happen 
as we began to put our hands on them, as we began to hug them and hold them, you could start to hear an audible cry. And the reason why they were crying is because nobody was ever touching them. Even with having the medical knowledge, people still wouldn't show them affection. And then the picture of this face that is missing a nose, ears, all those things, but looking into the eyes and seeing a soul that's just so desperately wanted to be loved and accepted, filled with tears. I'll never forget that. Can you imagine five, 10, 20 years where no one will touch you? No hugs, no intimacy. Studies suggest that you need at least eight hugs a day to be healthy. And everybody who loves physical touch are like, amen, brother, preach on, preach on, brother. It's probably more than that. And everybody who doesn't like to be touched are like, I'm gonna look that study up. I don't think that that's accurate. I think you're making that up right now. I don't think that it's necessary, okay? And they would say that one of those hugs needs to be at least 20 seconds. And that is where I draw the line. Because here's the thing. I'm, I'm a hugger, I don't mind hugging. Nobody but my wife is gonna hold me for more than 10 seconds, okay? It just, I just, this, some, and it's like some of you dudes, you're affectionate and I get it, but I'm like, come on, there's, we got, there's a bro code here and we cannot break this, okay? Uh, especially, especially like full on frontal, like, come on, like it, there's enough time for a pat in there and then that is it, we gotta move on, okay? But God created us to need affection to need to be touched, to be held. And they also had to shout, unclean. Like those are the only words that anybody ever heard from them. Unclean. A lot of manuscripts would suggest that they also had to wear bells to let people know that they were coming. Unclean. So it'd be like the equivalency of us walking in a room and yelling out, bomb, gun, fire. That'll clear a room. And that's what they would do. They would yell that. We don't have, we can't relate to that. I'd say the only thing that comes close to us being able to relate to that was at one point during the pandemic when everybody started getting out and walking and being around each other. How many of y'all remember how dangerous it was to cough in public? How many of y'all remember that? Like you, got, like you could get water going down the wrong pipe and you're out there and you're like, you just, you're holding it in, you're, you're bursting blood vessels and pulling muscles, just trying not to cough out loud. It's like, cause if you cough out loud, they could be some of the nicest, sweetest, most polite people you know. They're gonna, they're gonna move away from you. Like your family members like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but we certainly weren't having to say unclean, unclean. And in fact, by law, if there was ever someone with leprosy around close to you and they didn't clear out away from you as quick as you felt that they needed to, by law, you could throw rocks at them like they were stray dogs to get them to move away from you faster. Another thing, leprosy eroded the body. It says his body is full of leprosy. So this means it's advanced stages, probably 10 to 20 years of having this. So his skin's completely discolored it's, it's like white, 
in appearance with ulcers everywhere, dry, painful. Again, it affected the nerve endings. So your ability just to move, to walk, talk, work, you lose feeling to the point that if you get any kind of injury, it could be very life-threatening. Because you couldn't feel, if you got a cut, you could bleed out and not even know it because you couldn't even feel that you got cut. And you can see yourself dying. You can smell yourself decaying for years. Leviticus 13, 46, again, the law, as long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp, which brings us to probably the most serious result of leprosy. Leprosy caused spiritual separation. This leper couldn't worship even if he wanted to because he had no way to get right before God. He was banished from the temple until he was clean and there was no cure, so he couldn't get clean. Maybe the worst thing about it was he felt rejected by the church, if you will, rejected by God. The shame that he felt. And this is what it was like for a leper. And this is what this man, this leper is going through when he comes to Jesus. So here's what we can learn. Number one, Jesus is willing. Jesus is willing. Back to our text. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out, touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. There's a couple of really soul-stirring moments in this encounter. This guy approaches Jesus, okay? And, and remember this. Jesus was surrounded by crowds. So this guy comes up at great risk to his own life, but also embarrassment. And he comes and he comes to Jesus and he says, if you were willing, if you're willing, he's been beat up and beaten down so much that he doesn't have a ton of faith. But the fact is you don't have to have a ton of faith to get your prayer answered. You just gotta take whatever little bit of faith you have and put it in the hands of a capable God. And that's what he's willing to do right here. He says, look, I know that you can, but are you willing? Do you want to do something? Isn't that crazy? That's real brokenness. Like for instance, from time to time, my wife Cody would come to me and she says, James, are you able to go with me to dirt cheap? And I'm like, clearly I'm able. <laughs> I'm able to drive you almost anywhere you wanna go. I drive a Jeep. I can take you a lot of places. Am I willing to go to dirt cheap with you? The answer is no. I am. <laughs> I don't want to go, like, I will drive you down there and I'll sit in the parking lot and you can go on inside and, but I don't carry around a hazmat suit with me everywhere I go. And I just don't want, I'm praying the Lord, I, I, I pray the Lord protects her every time she goes in that place. I do. 
And, uh, and she reminded me after first service that I can't hate on it too much because my whole outfit's from dirt cheap, okay? <laughs> I want you to know I washed this stuff six times before I let her even touch me, okay? But there is a big difference between able and willing. But it says moods with compassion. He says, of course I want to. But that word compassion, it... This is a question that kind of shook Jesus in his soul. It's like a gut punch because Jesus' love was on the line. Like how he values people is on the line. And I want you to know that no matter what you've done or how ugly that is, Jesus still loves you and he's still willing to reach down into your mess, no matter how messed up it is. He's still willing to heal you. He's still willing to restore you. He's not done with you. And you might feel like a leper, but he's still a willing savior. It's kind of like when a, when a mother is holding her newborn or her baby. I've seen some moms with like a baby who's spitting up or who gets sick and starts throwing up. I have seen moms literally cup their hand and catch that mess. Like I've seen Cody literally like gather that stuff up like her hands a squeegee and like, like put it in her hand. Do you know what most dads do when that starts happening? <laughs> they're, they're just looking for somebody to hand it. It doesn't have to be the, the mom. It can be a complete stranger. Take it, take it. Get a, they're looking for a stranger and a garden hose. That, that's all they can think about at that point. Just get it away from me. There is a willingness built into the soul of a mama. And you're seeing that same kind of compassion and willingness with our Savior in this story. Of course, I'm willing. And this is what lepers and sinners like us have in common. He's willing. Psalm 86, 15, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He has compassion for those that are sick and that's why he still heals. He has compassion for those who are oppressed and that's why he still delivers. And he has compassion for those that are bound in their sin and he still saves people from their sin no matter how bad that sin is. Number two, Jesus cleanses our soul. Verse 41, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Now, there was a lot of ways that Jesus could have healed this guy, right? Like for instance, could he just speak and the man be healed? Yes, absolutely. Could he just think it and the man be healed? Yes, absolutely. Could he have given him a specific task? Like you need to go dip yourself in a sea to be healed. Yeah, he could have done that. In fact, at one point, he gave a similar instruction to that to somebody to be healed. But he didn't do it that way. He does it backwards. He touches the leper, then he heals him. You understand what that meant in that moment? 
Because the law clearly states that as soon as you touch someone with leprosy, you're unclean. And I think what's interesting about this is he knew at that point that all the religious legalistic people in that culture, they weren't gonna focus on the fact that this guy got healed and Jesus did it. They were gonna zero on, in on the fact that Jesus touched something that was unclean and that made him unclean. And that's what religion will do to you. It'll focus on all the wrong things. Look, I would agree, Jesus did this backwards. I don't mean to tell God how to do his job. It just comes to me naturally. But I would have told him like, why couldn't you heal him first and then touch him? That would have saved you some hassle. Like heal him, then hug him. But that wasn't the way that Jesus did it because Jesus understood what was going on in this man's soul. He sees us from the inside out. He sees the condition, just like he sees our body, he sees our soul. And this man is broken and bruised and he's hurting on the inside way more than he's broken and hurting on the outside. You know, in the animal kingdom, even animals use touch to comfort and clean and bond, direct, survive. Babies, their physical growth, even their immune system is attached to physical touch. Like when kids, when, when you get hurt, you just need mom. When you get scared, you just need dad. God has wired us to need these kinds of touches. I remember when Cody and I were dating and the first time that we ever held hands. Hello. I mean, it was electric. It was like, that's it. This is it. This is it. Forever. Power couple, here we come. A touch based in God's timing and aligned with God's will and his word and led by the Holy Spirit is one of the most powerful things that any person can ever experience because it's so much more than physical. It connects to your soul. That's why you have to be so careful that you don't let other kinds of touches outside of God's plan, purpose, design of his word, outside of his timing and just based on your own want, desire and lust to get you touching outside of God's plan and purpose because you still create something strong. It just won't be something strong birthed in what God says, it'll be something birthed in what you wanted. But either way, it's, it's powerful, it's powerful. God doesn't want you just to know his love on an intellectual level. He wants you to know his love in the way that you can feel it. And by the way, how does God still touch people? Well, he does it in his presence. And sometimes his presence is so tangible it feels like you can feel him touching you, but you know how he does it most of the time? Raise your hand if you're a Christ follower. He uses us. That's how he touches. The hands and feet of Jesus is not just a cute cliche. It's meant to be. He uses us. He leads us by his spirit to be this touch that reaches people's souls. 
It's God's love. And it can literally heal souls. And that's what's happening in this story. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with singing. That's a touch from God. One touch from Jesus. And this man's soul is cleansed, power washed. And I believe that you're just one touch away from freedom, healing, and restoration. Your marriage may be suffering. It needs a touch from God. One touch, and this leper is healed. One touch, the woman with the issue of blood healed. One touch, and Thomas's doubt healed. One touch. Number three, Jesus is our exchange. Have you ever seen someone suffering and you wish you could switch spaces or spots with them? Like it happens to me a lot with my family. Like when one of my kids is having a difficult time, I've thought many times, I wish I could take their spot, okay? Now I know a lot of us men would say, hey, I would love to do that. Like if my kid was sick, I'd like to take their spot. But all the wives know that that's a bad idea because men are some of the worst when it comes to being sick. We are some of the biggest wimps and babies that have, that have ever existed. And any man in here that's offended by that, you're probably one of the worst ones. You're, you're probably so difficult to take care of when you're sick. And so the wives are like, hey, why don't you take on like, like they broke an arm? You can do that. Switch spots with them. When they're sick, I'll take that one, okay? I'll switch spots with them because the women, they just do better with that kind of stuff. Remember? <laughs> just all carrying around, you know? It's weird. Uh, but I felt that way. Especially the other stuff. One of my kids getting bullied, let's switch spots, buddy. Bring it. Bring it. Something like that. You can imagine if our, us as parents and our weakness and our frailty and our inability to be good parents, if we have felt that way, can you imagine what the farther heart of God feels towards us? Well, we don't have to imagine. We see all the evidence. What he's willing to do. But this is what it says in verse 45. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely, to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Okay, so first, we all come to Jesus as a leper. Every one of us. That's what we look like dead in our sins, decaying in our sins, we come to Jesus. We all look like leprosy to God. And Isaiah 1, 5 through 6, it says, why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. This is speaking to the condition of all of us apart from Christ. And this is why it's so silly 
to compare ourselves with anyone else. More specifically, to compare our sin to someone else's sin. To compare our leprosy to someone else's leprosy. Well, I may be a leper, but their leprosy is way worse. Like I might have lost a few fingers, all right, but man, are they messed up. It's ridiculous. But that's a lot of times what we do. We all come as as lepers in need of a savior. But there's something subtle that happens right here, but it's also a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do forever. There's an exchange and a trade that happens because the leper starts off in lonely places and ends up in public places, while Jesus starts off in a public place and ends up in lonely places. The leper starts off with a severe limitation placed on him and ends up with all limitations taken off of him. There's an exchange where Jesus meets him with no limitations and is now limited. A trade is happening. There have been some bad trades that have happened throughout history. Uh, Like for instance, the Red Sox sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees for $100,000 so that the owner of the Red Sox could direct a musical that he liked. I think trading a musical for anything is almost always a bad idea. I'm just gonna throw that out there, okay? Here's another bad trade. It's rumored that in the 70s, Arkansas traded thousands of turkeys for rattlesnakes from Oklahoma because we had a rodent problem. That is the worst trade that could ever, they probably traded some meth too, because it is Oklahoma, you know, they got that going for them. What a horrible trade. But this trade, the trade that Jesus does for us, it's a bad trade, but he does it over and over and over and over. He does it when he first saves your soul and then he does it thousands of times after that because the word says that every time that we sin, it's like nailing him back to the cross again. We put him through the same bad trade all over again and he does it willingly. He trades for us. The thing is though, he doesn't just put me in my place. He took my place and then he put me in his place. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, no matter how you see yourself, this is the truth. God still sees you like a cherished son or daughter. He sees you as his own, his beloved, his favored. One of the things that I speak over people when they're getting water baptized, because it's a great moment where there's a physical representation of something that's already happened in their soul. And that is that when God sees you, he sees you the same way he sees Jesus. He sees you as he sees Jesus. See, here's the thing. When I say stuff like that, it's like I can sense all of hell screaming because all of hell knows that as we, as sons and daughters of the King of Kings, if we could really 
see that and accept that. That when God sees us, he sees us like he sees Jesus with the same value, like we've never made a mistake in our lives. Perfect. When God sees you because of Christ, that's the way he sees you. And if we knew how to accept that, the enemy knows his plan is done. We're gonna fulfill our purpose. We're gonna fulfill our calling. And the church is gonna be the church that Jesus is pleased and honored and proud to come back to when there's more and more people that understand who we are in Christ and in Christ alone. And that is some good news if we accept it. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Fact is all of us are carrying around at least some amount of leprosy. All of us are carrying it. We might be carrying it physically. We might be carrying it emotionally or mentally. There is some level of ailment that we carry that we haven't allowed Jesus to touch. And I just want you to know that he's willing. He's willing. He wants to. He's full of compassion. He sees you. He values you. But there are more than likely at least a few people in this room. You have no sense of his love, his acceptance. No sense of your own value. No real peace, no real joy. And the reason for that is because you've never thrown yourself at the feet of Jesus. You've never humbled yourself at the feet of Jesus and just said, I need you. I need you. I'm ready to just surrender my life. because there's probably at least a couple of people in this room, you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You might've done religious things, you might've done the church thing your whole life, but if you were honest, you've never come before him, honest, real, raw, with all of your ugly mess and said, I can't save myself. I need a savior. And Jesus paid the price, the ultimate price, so that you could take his place, so that you could be seen as God's righteousness. If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I wanna give you a chance to respond. The leper did, he, he had to come to Jesus, took an act of his free will, a willingness to say, I, I need you. And I'm gonna ask you to be willing to demonstrate that you need him. And if you 
are ready to surrender to him and I'd love to pray with you. I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up right now. Anybody who's away from Jesus and needs to call on him and as soon as I see you, make eye contact and put your hand down. Got you, thank you. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yes. Yes, sir. Anyone else? I'm away from him. I'm ready to surrender to him. Got you, dude. Thank you. Anyone else? Ready to surrender to him as my Lord and Savior. Ready to have my touch from my heavenly Father. Anyone else? Okay, buddy, got you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, being so good meeting with us, all of us broken, unclean in our leprosy. Thank you for meeting us and making us clean. Anyone else might be just a little bit stubborn, kind of resisting it, but you know the Holy Spirit's telling you that this is it, this is your time. I just wanna encourage you. I know what it's like to be stubborn and I just wanna tell you as someone that knows what it's like to be stubborn, this is not the moment you wanna be stubborn. So let's just be humble together. Anyone, I need him. I need to call on him. All right. Let's pray with them. If you don't mind, let's just pray it out loud. Everyone say, Jesus, I need you. I'm broken, I'm a sinner, I can't save myself. I believe that you died on the cross, you paid the price for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the grave. You defeated sin, you defeated death. So I can have the hope of heaven but so that I can live free. If I make mistakes, and I know I will, I can always turn to you. You are faithful. I surrender my life to you. Be my Lord, my Savior, my best friend. Father God, I thank you for every person that just prayed that prayer for the first time. I thank you for the honor and privilege it is for all of us to pray with them. And the truth is that all of us, including some of us that have been believers for a really long time, we gotta remember, we forget so easily that we're still broken. We're still in need of a savior. We still have a tendency to pick up our own sicknesses and carry them around with us like shame and guilt and condemnation and offense. We carry those things. So God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to come back to you and remember that you're a good God who's willing and you touch us and you're still full of compassion for us. We thank you for that. I pray you just continue to minister, Holy Spirit. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.